This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Hi, I'm Ryder Taff, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advisory and co-host of Money Talks. Each week, we take your personal finance questions and tell you about a money topic we hope you find helpful. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. From MPB Think Radio, this is In Legal Terms, the show all about you and your rights. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. Who provides tax help? gives fraud assistance, is a government watchdog, and answers Medicare questions. AARP. We'll learn today how they fight for the rights of citizens over 50 years of age while we hear from Mississippi's State Director Kimberly Campbell. Today is a rebroadcast from July of 2021, so we can't take your phone calls. You can send us an email to our address, legalterms at mpbonline.org. This is In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Welcome to In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio. It's the show all about you and your rights. I'm Liz Gill, and I'm with host Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. Hello, Professor Gershon. Good morning, Liz. And uh, as you recall, last week we talked about the age of majority and, and what is a minor versus what is an adult. So this week it's great to welcome State AARP Director Kimberly Campbell to the show. Uh, she'll be talking about how the AARP advocates for people over 50 and some of the laws that protect Mississippians, uh, whether they're 50, over 50 or, or generally, uh, because everyone will be an hour older after this show. Uh, Ms. Campbell, would you please tell us a little bit about your background and and your work with AARP? Uh, Good morning. I'm glad to be here with you all. Uh, Yes, so uh, I am an Ole Miss graduate, so from the law school. I always want to make people understand it's from the law school. Uh, My undergraduate degree is Mississippi State, so I'm a proud bulldog. Bulldog. Uh, and then I actually got my master's from Auburn. So my dad loves to say, my dad is a proud HBCU graduate. He goes, all of my hard-earned HBCU money went to three <laughs> SEC schools. So that he, to this day, he still loves to remind me of that. But but yes, yeah, so uh, I am uh, the director for ARP here in the state of Mississippi. Prior to that, I served in the Mississippi House of Representatives. I was a legislator for three terms, uh, but I did not finish the third term because I went on to take on the helmet ARP. So I served about nine years. I was also a special youth court judge uh, in Hines County, practiced law about 15 years, uh, adjunct professor at one point at Bellhaven. So uh, that's a quick snapshot of the background. I've been with AARP now since 2016. It's amazing how the time goes by. So uh, in a nutshell, I do everything that involves the 50 plus population and their families. So in other words, what we do, we do for everyone. Uh, That's advocacy work, whether it's on the state level with uh, my former colleagues or in D.C. with our federal uh, delegation. That's also community outreach work, uh, communications. You know, we're big on telling the AARP story and all the great things that we do. Well, you know, you mentioned that you've been a city attorney, you, you, yes. you've been a state representative, a judge. How does all how does all that background, your legal background, 
um, help you uh, in, in terms of being director of AARP? You know, I, oh gosh, I think it just provided such a rich uh, foundation. Uh, as, as as you know, you know, law school really grounds you as far as your uh, critical skills, like writing, like research, even your your public oratorical skills. And so, everything that you get from law school, everything that I got from my practice, everything that I got from being in the legislature, really did prepare me uh, to run a, a statewide, well, a national organization, but to lead up a state. And so, uh, it's funny. At one point, I thought when I was transitioning in this role, I, many people would, you know, say, oh, you, you're going to miss the legislature and, you know, and in policy because I love policy work and it's going to be so different. And I thought, actually, it's really not. I feel as though I've, I've done, it's not much of a change because so much of AARP uh, bread and butter really is the advocacy work. And so I do still do a lot of work here on the state level. But now I do more work on the federal level. So I have someone here on the ground more uh, at the state house, and then I'm in D.C. quite a bit. Well, pre-pandemic, <laughs> I was in D.C. Uh, quite a bit, you know, uh, working with, uh, you know, hearings, federal, you know, legislation, you know, lobbying, you know, uh, you know, carrying out the, the work that we do on the national level. And, and it's great and important work. And, and you know, you, people hear the acronym AARP, and it refers to the R in there as retired people. <laughs> and, and does someone need to be retired to be a member of AARP? You know, no, that, that's how it started with, with our founder, uh, Ethel Andrus. That's how it began. You know, some people quickly know, know her story. She was a, a retired, you know, educator, and uh, she she began this uh, organization. Uh, she was a retired principal at one point, went to check on a, a former teacher that used to work at her school and literally found that this teacher was now in retirement years living in a chicken coop, believe it or not. I mean, things were just that hard and just that difficult. And she thought, oh my gosh, you know, for people to have worked so hard in such a, you know, a, a valiant uh, profession as education, this, this should not happen to them when they are in their uh, retirement years. And so that's why ARP is also very uh, tied to the NRTA, you know, National Retired Teachers Association. But that's not what we do. I mean, we've grown over 60 years now. Uh, so, so her smaller dream then is, you know, a uh, uh, Goliath now with the work that we do. So no, you do not have to be retired. Uh, ARP, in fact, membership is not just for if you're 50. <laughs> now, now here's the thing: we want you at any time, so you can join and become a member prior to 50. But now, some of the benefits uh, with our other vendors uh, may have some age restrictions. Some of them don't. So some of them, if you're 25 years old and you sign up and become a member, you're a member. You can get the benefits, and the vendor doesn't mind. Some vendors do say though that they've got to be 50 to get to get some of their benefits. So that's that's kind of like the little the little caveat why most people think of it as they get full membership uh, at 50. To be one of our volunteers, our statewide volunteers, there are, there's not an age restriction. In fact, I have some volunteer teams that are you know 40s, 30s. Uh, every once in a while, some of my interns uh, from the schools around you know will, will uh, help us with some of the work that we do. Across
across the state. So uh, we're, we're open. We'll take anybody. Come on. I can put you to work. <laughs> and as proof of they'll take anybody, I am not retired, and I must in full disclosure, I am a card-carrying member of AARP. You can get some free popcorn at the movie theater. Uh, <laughs> and you get some great periodicals delivered to your house. This morning, we're talking about AARP with State Director Kimberly Campbell. You can send us an email. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. Yeah, Liz, I'm not retired either, but I think some days my students wish I, I, I was. But, um, <laughs> we, you know, uh, Kimberly, we'll talk about some of the specifics in, in later segments, but okay. generally, could you talk a little bit about some of the uh, roles that AARP plays in terms of activism and advocating for legislation? Oh, absolutely. So uh, you're right. Uh, not to get, get too deep, you know, some of our, our, our big bread and butter, of course, is always lobbying for the solvency of Social Security. You know, uh, the, the way it looks now, as we all know, unless Congress really puts in some different legislation, some different benchmarks and some different safety protocols, uh, Social Security may run out uh, in the not too distant future. And so we're big on making sure that Social Security remains solvent for future generations to come. We're big on, you know, Medicare having adequate benefits and, and people having access to quality health care. Uh, we're big on caregivers and, and the work that we do uh, on the state level and federal level for legislation to kick in and to help caregivers. And I know we'll, we'll break that down a little bit more later. Uh, we're big on uh, Medicaid expansion as well. Uh, you know, every state has not expanded uh, Medicaid, but that is an area that, that we work in. And, and I always want to say, because sometimes people, it's funny, There, there's one group of people that think we're more uh, Democrat-leaning, and then on other legislation that think we're more Republican-leaning. And I always tell people, I said, well, that means we're doing our job then. <laughs> if, we're, if we're never in the box with either side 100%, we're doing our job, because we are a nonpartisan organization. We really do uh, work hard uh, to push legislation that we feel as though is for the benefit of, of the 50-plus uh, you know, population that demographic, you know, uh, for them to live well, live how they want to live, uh, whether that's housing issues, retirement savings issues on the state level, federal level, you know, Medicaid, health care, you know, uh, drug prescription calls. That's a big federal thing that we're working on now is we want Congress to really step in and, and control the rising costs of, of, of prescriptions. And so, you know, we, we really do want life uh, to be of quality for those in our demographic. And it's so interesting because Republicans, Democrats, independents, uh, you know, libertarians all age. And That's so, right. uh, you know, these issues are really for anyone who, Absolutely. Uh, who is aging. You can send us an email to our address, legalterms at mpbonline.org. Also available on the MBB Public Media app, as are all our local shows. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. As Kimberly mentioned earlier, anybody is welcome to join AARP. It's uh, for advocating for people uh, elder 
people, oh, I was going to say elderly people, people over 50 uh, and their families, but you're eligible for full membership with AARP at age 50. And with a life expectancy of 77 in Mississippi, that would give you over 25 years of benefits. This morning, we are talking about AARP, their work and their advocacy in Mississippi with State Director Kimberly Campbell. Kimberly, we, we've uh, come out of a period of time. Hopefully, we're not totally out of there yet with COVID, but uh, oh. where caregiving was so important. And, and one of right. AARP's advocacy efforts centers on support for caregivers. So what exactly is a family caregiver? Absolutely. Well, you know, one thing that we say uh, around AARP is that uh, care, caregiving really impacts all of us. I always tell people, either you have been a caregiver, you are currently a caregiver, or guess what, millennials and young people, keep living, you will soon become a caregiver. Uh, in, in fact, just recently, because AARP also does a lot of multi-generational work and studies, and we really found that's a really rising percentage of millennials uh, that are caregivers now. And, and when you think about it, at first you think, how could that be? But then we've got to think how our families have changed. I mean, you know, many of us now don't even have our first child until we're 40. <laughs> and some of them are having them even later. And so we have to understand what that then means on down the line. So you can potentially be a college student and your parents are much, much older now. And people have second families now. So it's really not that unheard of. It's no longer, you know, when we become 65, now we have to take care of mom and dad. No, many times when we're 45 and we're still dealing with our children ourselves, now we're dealing with aging parents. And so it, it's, a, it's a huge issue and, and it's so multifaceted. And so that's one of the areas that we really work with. We really work on caring for the caregiver because uh, our studies have shown, and I think probably both of you can, can tell in, in the lives and the people that you know that there is a percentage that many times the caregiver who's healthy, sometimes younger, will pass away before the person that they are taking care of. And that's very telling. It's because they're not taking care of themselves. They, they don't know the resources that are out there. Advocacy-wise, besides, because there's two different things that we do, our community work, and I can break that down what we do for caregivers, but the advocacy side is really lobbying on state level and really federal level to put in some legislation, you know, whether it's going to be a credit tax break for caregivers, you know, whether it's uh, improving uh, leave time for caregivers, you know, not just for, for parents or what have you. You know, we have a lot of organizations that have been really progressive that have said, well, we already do this, but that's not everybody. Um, and so we're really concerned about making sure that if that's on your life's journey, you have the resources that, that you need. Um, I'm 49. I was uh, my mother's caregiver. My mother battled cancer five times. And uh, she left me just last year, as a matter of fact. I had moved both of my parents in with me uh Three, well, three years ago now, I moved them in with me in 2018. She was first diagnosed in 2011. Uh, and so I did hospice here at my home. And this was during the pandemic. This was doing, I'm also a divorcee with three daughters. <laughs> I also have a, have a pretty big job. So that was a lot of trying to juggle my staff, my job, my three girls, the pandemic, virtual school, and then a mother that's basically getting ready to transition and all that that 
that means. And so, you know, we really have resources that we that we uh, give people, that we tell them how they can find it. You can always go to our website, uh, AARP Caregivers, and it will pull up just a plethora of things. And in fact, after today with you all at 11, uh, 11, 11, 15, I have a caregiver uh, presentation to do for the Mississippi Community Colleges uh, and Junior Colleges, their statewide conference. So it's a big deal, and it's really something that we all need to have discussions about now. We do have a call, and we're going to go to David, who has called in from Memphis. David, thanks for calling into In Legal Terms today. What's your comment or question? Yes, good morning. I appreciate the time. And uh, I'm interested to know, I am a member of AARP, but I'd like to know what work, advocacy work, AARP has underway regarding pension reform. Now, this is this is a significant risk issue. Uh, if you go to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, they release a report annually on uh, pensions that are significantly underfunded. And by that, I mean they're at significant risk of failure and not having sufficient funds to support the pensioners. Now, over the last 20 years, we've, we've all watched and observed the horizon change with uh, some pension reforms and uh, kind of forced by venture uh, uh, investors buying a company and leveraging the bankroll of a pension that that company has to fund the takeover of the business and then tossing the pension to the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corp. So I'm, I am truly blessed to have not only Social Security benefit, but a fully funded traditional pension benefit and a portable pension benefit. But I'm one of very, very few. And I'm interested right. again in what uh, AARP is doing in terms of pension reform work to, to try and correct longer term that uh, underfunding issue. Thank you. And I'll uh, hang up and listen on the radio. Thanks, David. Uh Thank you so much for that. Uh, that is an area that we do play in. Uh, we have our financial securities uh, arm that we do a lot of work around financial security, you know, retirement benefits, uh, pensions. Now, it gets a little different because there's state work and then there's federal work. So uh, I heard you say that you're in Memphis, Tennessee, or at least I think I heard Tennessee. So I would first recommend contacting the ARP Tennessee state office. Uh, they would better be able to tell you what they've done on the state level. I'm sure they've done some type of advocacy work, just like what we do here. Uh, you know, we've had attacks to our, you know, public retirement system and, you know, we're fighting to make sure don't touch it. <laughs> As we all know here in Mississippi, we, I, I, we love our public retirement. Uh, you know, our PERS, especially our educators, they will get real funky with you if you start talking about messing with what they call their 13th check. So that's just a, a, a little nod to those that are listening Mississippi. And so we're big on making sure that we watch that type of legislation. I'm sure Tennessee is doing the same thing. And so they will be able to speak about what they're doing statewide. Uh, federal, we have not presented a, a whole federal piece of legislation that has dealt with that. We do track. And if, if we see things that we think uh, we can intervene and we think, we, you know, we need to be a part of hearings or we think we need to issue our, you know, issue papers and so forth on it, we do engage. Now, again, that won't be something that I would control. That's something that would come from our our national office with our with our federal delegation that deals with just overall national work. But it's David. definitely something that is important, and it's something that we work towards. 
And Kimberly, David's questions are, are great and important question. Really, I mean, when we talk about pensions, we're really also talking the, the same issue with Social Security. Is absolutely, absolutely. You know, again, we want these things to be protected. We want them to be funded correctly. Uh, you know, we want them to have solvency. You know, people have worked hard. Uh, and in fact, when I was still in the legislature, I was put on uh, one of the special committees that was the the oversight uh, committee that dealt with PERS, and we were the investigative arm and so forth because it was it was the only joint committee that has Senate members and House members. And I was one of the House members. And I was serving during the time to where there was some debate about changing uh, our formula and, and, you know, kind of messing around, tweaking things with, with our state uh, retirement system. And, and I was one of the ones, and, and we, we prevailed, that said, don't mess with it. You know, it's really a contract. You know, when people have, uh, many people have made a dedication to standing in the state, they've served well, they have worked hard, they've given in everything for 20 and 30 years, and, and just, Richard, you know, legal. I think that's going to be a, that's going to be a lawsuit because uh, you know most people are that was a contract that was a contract that you made with me that if I do X years in this system then I can expect to have X Y Z so you cannot come in now and try to you know move the goal uh, now what you could do is change it for the people that are beginning uh, you know the beginning of the contract in a sense and so that's you know that was kind of our, our work and making sure that that was you know uh, fleshed out and clear uh, and so. So, but yeah, so, you know, even with ARP, that is definitely an area that, that we uh, are always interested in and, and we try to uh, be on the side that's going to be the, the best situation for the retirees or future retirees. Kimberly, the uh, going back to our caregiver discussion, this is something I'm learning about firsthand. You know, I had a mama that well, a month and a half ago lived in a three-story house. She was she's 90 and lived on her own, and you know, on a dime, uh, yeah. health uh, problems started, and. This is something you don't know. You don't know it. You don't know yes. that you need this information until you need it yesterday. What are yes. some tools or what is some information that AARP has for family caregivers and to learn about what a caregiver is? Right. Uh, uh, two things. One, AARP standpoint, definitely go to our website. Look up AARP Caregiver or AARP Caregiving. It's a huge website. I mean, it breaks down specifics for veteran caregivers or multicultural caregivers, multigeneral. I mean, it breaks down a plethora of information. There's a guide that, that we can send you or it may be downloadable about the Prepare to Care Guide. Uh, we do webinars on it. We do seminars on, you know, when we were fully on the ground we did big workshops on it uh but but aside from that when i was practicing i did a lot of family law and i used to even even before arp i would tell people it's really too late to now get this stuff in place when when mom is 98 and she's no longer uh has the same mental capacity as she did i mean because it's just so much it's a different level of paperwork it's a different level of court action that has to go into place then and so you really got to have uh 
we, we laugh because, you know, when we have teenagers going through puberty, we have the talk. <laughs> well, with ARP, we also say there comes a point with our parents or whoever we may be responsible for one day that we have to have the talk. <laughs> and, and that talk involves, you know, wills, estates, you know, what are your wishes? What are your, you know, funeral wishes even? What are your medical directive issues are? And so you want to have those discussions when the person can be a partner with you and can really honestly say what they want. That cuts down confusion in the family. I've seen families completely, you know, just tear up each other, you know, because, you know, one sibling would say, mom never wanted that. The other one would say, mom told me that she wanted that. And, and now mom is in a, you know, a catatonic state. And so mom can't say. And, and it just causes hard feelings. And so it's very important that you want to have that talk. You want to get legal resources in place. You want to make sure that if you are the one that's got to make the decisions, you have all the right legal standing and paperwork and everything to back that up. Uh, and then I always tell people, this is the most simplest thing about being a caregiver. Make sure you want to be one. And that is a very serious situation. You've got to want to do it. Don't do it because you think you're supposed to, because you won't do it well and you won't do it right. If you know in your heart, it's just like being a mother. If you know you don't want to be a mother, don't become one. <laughs> Regardless of what mom, dad, the church may say, don't become one. If you know you're not going to do the dedication and have the patience to be a true caregiver, then look at facilities that can, you know, fill that role and don't feel guilty about it because it is a serious job. You You've got to want to honor it and you've got to have the passion for it because it's not for the faint of heart. I'll just leave it. There. It is not for the faint of heart. And, and it can cost you uh, yes. income. So are there, are there acts or, or legislation that, that help caregivers specifically that will help them with that income loss or, or protect them when they make decisions? You know, again, some states do have some things in place. And so that's something that we've been working on, on our, in our state here to get uh, a credit uh, for caregiver uh, tax tax break and tax credit. But we're really working federally. We, we really want a big federal act uh, to come in and really give an overall federal credit for caregiving. Uh, because, you know, regardless of how well parents may, may have been, I, I tell people all the time, you know, uh, unless you're a Rockefeller, <laughs> for the most part, what they have would not be enough for their care. So you've always got to be prepared that you're going to have to financially be, be a part of this. And, and for some of us, we can manage. It's okay. And some of us have other siblings that can help. But there are some families where this is almost detrimental to them. Like they, they were already struggling themselves. And now here they are with mom or dad or a, a sister that may have had some, you know, uh, difficulties that, that they now have to have a caregiver um, or an adult child that has special needs. And so, uh, you know, we, we really do want an overreaching federal legislation uh, to help soften the blow and to provide some financial resources. But we're not there yet, but we're trying to get there, but we're not there yet. Email us your questions. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. Subscribe to our podcast. There are lots of different podcasting platforms out there. I happen to like Podcast Addict. You can download it to your phone, touch the plus. It takes you to a page to search for podcasts. Then you can type in, in legal terms, in the search area. It brings up our show, and then you're able to touch our photo and subscribe. Then I'm notified when any new episodes are loaded up. 
This morning we're talking about AARP and their advocacy in Mississippi and federally and nationwide with our guest, Kimberly Campbell. We've got some fans of AARP here at MPB. I want you to listen to this. Uh, Nancy, let's uh, start off with you. What are some ways you gather financial information that might be helpful uh, to people who are listening? Well, um, I think there are many sources, and I'm going to confess here, I now am of an age to get the AARP magazine. (laughs) And it is a great resource for uh, budgeting, financial tips, financial products. I have found many articles in there that I have passed on to our clients or we used to then uh, expand upon. So it's a great source of information for people of all ages, actually. Um, But that's a great place to start. And then look for any sort of websites or... Uh, Nancy, I get the AARP uh, newsletter also. And oh, you're old, too? Yeah, I'm, I'm old, too, yeah. And yeah. so for our uh, listeners who are not of AARP age, I am also in the studio today available to take your questions. <laughs> but I think that is a good source. This week or this month or however often they send it out, it's uh, 99 Ways to Save Money. They've got an, a regular column about Social Security in there. A little while ago I read something about identity theft. So it does contain a lot of useful information, certainly for seniors, but... Uh, also, uh, if if younger folks could get their hands on it, it would be useful uh, well, for them maybe, as well. Maybe we could pass on our copy to Ryder. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. That was our team from Money Talks, heard on MPB Think Radio at 9 a.m. on Tuesdays, right before this. And I love my copies of the AARP. You get a magazine sometimes, and you get this little uh, booklet, uh, newslettery paper thing, and it does have some fantastic information. Thank, thank you, Kimberly, for sending it to me. <laughs> love it, love it. Yeah, well, and... Uh... You know, I was, I mentioned last week that I was uh, actually my age, I was asked my birthday to buy some non-alcoholic beer. So I was kind of <laughs> carded for that, but I've never been carded by AARP in terms of my, my uh, uh, qualification for membership. But um, Kimberly, we, we're going to talk about uh, fraud protection in this, this segment, because that's something that AARP is very much involved in. And older people have always been targeted by scammers. But it seems to have gotten worse, especially with the growth of um, Internet use and social media in general. So have you seen uh, more and more scams? You know, unfortunately, absolutely. And so you're right. Uh, We have a division to where we do. We have a big community outreach division that handles a lot of uh, fraud watch work, scams, you know, things along those lines. And we will routinely uh, have, you know, tips or what we've heard is the latest scam that they're doing. Uh, You know, sometimes I would go on certain shows and discuss certain things, especially during tax time. That's a whole other level. During the holidays, that's a different, you know, round of scams that they would do. even with COVID, that was a different round of, of frauds and scams that they would do. Uh, and, and definitely in, in the time that we're in, you know, uh, even those that are over fit, well, over 65, over 70, uh, they're really savvy now with technology. You know, they're on the phone because they're communicating with grandchildren and staying in touch with family across the miles. And so that, you know, is an open door. You know, if you're on the internet, you know, people would track you, people would know how to contact you. Uh, they'll call you. And, and then some are still old 
fashion to where they would knock at your door. And so uh, we, we definitely want people to be to be aware of some of those things. Uh, you know, some of the frauds that, that we will always see, for instance, is, you know, you get a call and says, you know, your IRS filing, um, you know, I'm, I'm in the process of sending the police to your house, uh, but you can avoid that if you give me your bank routing account and, and routing number, or if you give me a credit card to pay $1,500, that'll clear it up. Now, here it is, we think that we would know better, but you, you, you imagine someone that probably has some social isolation, someone that may be frail, someone that may have some uh, diminished capacity, uh, and you call that person and you alarm them, they will believe it, and they will start giving you that personal information. Uh, we've also had scams where they'll call and you know it'll they'll say I'm from Hines County jail, you know, and I've got your 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 grandson or your granddaughter and uh you know you've We've got gotten that at from our, our one of our grandmothers has gotten that. Oh my god. They I, they call and, and they I say grandma, the this is yes. Uh, yes. This is, and they look on so, social media to see maybe what someone's grandchild's name is. This is Jane. Oh, they know. They know, they do their research, and I really think that's one of the of the scams that I just despise the most because you know it's hitting at people's heartstrings and emotions. You know, and to do that to like you know an eighty five year old grandmother at midnight is just egregious. You know, uh, and so we, we see all that, and so we try to educate people. We try to tell them. I don't care what it is. Uh, first of all, the IRS is never going to call you saying that the police are on the way. First of all, if, if federal agents are coming to get you, they're not going to give you a heads up. <laughs> the federal agents are on their way. You won't know it until they're at your door. So that's the first thing. Uh, but but you never, even the IRS is never going to want you to give that personal information over the phone. You never give credit card. Never, ever, I mean for nothing, give their social security number uh, to entities that you don't know. Never do that. Never give, you know, your banking account information, you know, th those are, you know, and, or, or you'll get the one you've won the lottery. You just got to give me a thousand dollars for you to get a million. That does not exist. <laughs> if you want a million, you're going to get the million. <laughs> so don't fall for any of that stuff. Uh, sometimes over the holidays, we see the gift card scams and say, Oh, you know, if you give me a hundred dollars, I'll send you $500 worth of gift cards. I mean, you know, it's just, it's ridiculous. What, what, what people would do uh, here in the spring when we have all of our tornadoes and so forth, uh, you will have, you know, shady people that will say that they're contractors, you know, they'll come by, they'll watch and see if there's a limb on your, on your, and we know that even if we're used to real contractors doing that, it is a thing, but I always tell people, I uh, get their card and then you make calls to other entities to make sure this is a, a, a reputable company, you know, still shop stuff around, make sure this is someone that you want to work with because the minute you turn over that hard earned cash, uh, you're never going to see them again. And so, you know, and so we, we try to tell people, uh, even in this demographic, uh, you know, they also have romance scams. I mean, you know, you don't start living at 50, 60, 70, 80, <laughs> you know? Uh, and so, and, and that too is another hard tug, you know, scam that we see that people would do. You know, they meet somebody online and, you know, they think they're falling for this person and, but now this person has all these issues and they need all this money. And I mean, it's just, it's amazing. I mean, we, we we know some people that have lost like fifty thousand dollars, seventy thousand dollars, twenty thousand dollars. I mean, it just 
is egregious. And so we do support state level legislation as well as federal legislation that deals with some of these things. But then we also, a lot of our work in this area is really on the ground, whether it's what we do in local newspapers, you know, you know, uh, running articles on certain things to really get the information out, radio shows like this for our hot tips, you know, monthly. This is just some of the work that we do. Let's go to Marie in Hattiesburg. Marie, thanks for calling in to In Legal Terms. What's your comment or question? Um, my question is regarding elderly abuse and exploitation. Um, who do you call uh, when you see uh, that abuse and exploitation is, is going on by the caregivers? That, that's very, I'm, I'm sorry, were, were you done with your question? Okay. Yes, I, I want to know if there is an agency that takes care of, of the uh, complaints yes. about uh, elderly abuse and if it, there is a number to call. Uh, yes, I don't have a number right in front of me, but, but two things. One, if you think it is a very immediate physical risk, you can always call the police immediately. You can always dial 911 and say what your issues are. Uh, if it's something that's not like really immediate, uh, you can always contact the Department of Human Services, uh, and, and they have departments that deal with elderly abuse and aging issues. It's just like how a person can make a, can make a complaint against a, a minor child. You know, they can call the Department of, of Children Protective Services if they think a child is abused. It's the same thing for, for an elderly person. So still reach out to the Department of Human Services. Uh, but again, if it's something immediate, you need to get law enforcement involved. Like, if you think someone is physically in danger as we speak, that needs to be a 911 call immediately. Uh, if it's not on that level, then you can uh, make the complaint through the Department of Human Services. There's also division of aging uh, in different parts of the state. You can look that up online as well to look at, you know, who is the Mississippi uh, Department of Aging in that area and what those numbers are. And they should be able to tell you what, what some steps are to make. Marie, go ahead and grab a pen. I did look that up real quick, but because Kimberly told me what to look for, and uh, uh, MDHS, the Mississippi Department of uh, Human Services, does have a phone number for Vulnerable okay. Person Abuse yes. Hotline. That That's phone it. number Vulnerable. is 844-437-6282. And that is where um, you can report Vulnerable Person Abuse Hotline. I'm going to give that phone number one more time in case someone wanted it and didn't have a pen handy. It's 844-437-6282. If you go to their website, they also talk about abuse and indicators, and it is a part of the Division of Aging and Adult Services at MDHS, the Mississippi Department of Human Services. Thank you, Marie. We appreciate Thank you calling you so in. Thank, Thank you. you. Appreciate it. We take your questions on our email address, legalterms at mpbonline.org. It's also available on the MPB Public Media app, as are all our local shows. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. At 11 a.m. Central on Tuesdays following our over-the-air broadcast, you can hear Southern Remedy, Relatively Speaking, with Dr. Susan Buttress on MPB Think radio. I'm going to give you a website where you can sign up for some webinars. The address is 
learn.aarp.org. They have five different talks planned in the next few days and weeks. I'm going to sign up for some of these. We are talking with Kimberly Campbell, State Director of Mississippi's AARP. Let's move on to Mikey, who's called in from Mobile. Uh, Mikey, what's your comment or question for in legal terms? My comment is that I've been uh, subscribing to AARP for a while, and um, uh, yeah, this gives me a way for my age, although I still claim to be about 28, okay? Um, uh, uh, but the, some of the best advice that I ever got from anyone is from someone who was just a bit older than I at the time and said, you don't have to wait until you're 50 to subscribe to AARP. Do it as soon as you can. Now, this individual worked um, uh, in food and beverage at a retirement village, so she knew what the heck she was talking about, and I have never regretted it. Well, we're so glad for that testimonial. Thank you so much, Mikey. We appreciate (laughs) you you calling in. (laughs) Thank you for that, and and that's so true, and and I heard you from Mobile, so be sure that you reach out to the AARP Alabama State Office. Uh, Check them out on Facebook and and, and, and their website, and you can find all kind of things that they'll be doing locally uh, in your area that you might be interested in. Same here. Always check us out. You can go to AARP Mississippi, our Facebook page, our Twitter page. You can type us in online, and you can find all of the local stuff that we offer in the events that we do here. But what if you don't have Internet? What's AARP doing to help those who don't really have reliable or high-speed Internet? Oh, that was perfect, Liz. Perfect segue. Uh, so, you know, we've been really working in the space with broadband and increasing uh, high-speed internet, especially uh, in our rural communities. And we did this pre-pandemic, and so that was one of the big pieces of legislation that ARP was one of the big uh, players with and supporters, the Mississippi Broadband Enabling Act, which really, in, in a nutshell, cut down some of the bureaucracy for the electric co-ops to begin um, finding ways to bring high-speed internet to to those areas because it, it was really a kind of multi-layered ball of confusion on, on what they could and could not do. Uh, of course, since COVID, uh, the feds have thrown a lot of money uh, out, you know, to to, to certain to, to states to really help, uh, you know, increase capacity. And so now we're working with the uh, Emergency Broadband Benefit Program. Uh, that uh, that breaks down a certain cap. You have to have a certain income cap, but if you apply for it, I always tell people to look it up uh, because it can possibly have you. You just pay $50 a month for full uh, inter- internet coverage. And if you're in, in an area that doesn't have it, that's what our original legislation is working towards to increase uh, those capacities and to bring uh, internet uh, services to, to your area. Because as we know, that helps with telehealth, that helps with job searches, and really, we're, we're Mississippi, so we have a lot of grandparents that are raising grandchildren, and they're very concerned about them, but whether it's virtual education or even when they're in person, they a lot of their work is online now, even in person, and so they want to make sure that they have those uh, capabilities. And, and Kimberly, even some of our students at the law school, when we shut down and had to go virtual, yeah. because they didn't have reliable internet, they would literally sit at the picnic tables outside the law school uh, and use the, you know, because so we, we really have to expand this this uh, availability for education and, and, Absolutely. and everything. Absolutely. I agree with you. 
I mean, so what, what exactly, how did, how did uh, AARP interact with, with uh, the Mississippi Broadband Enabling Act? What, what was we your worked role? really hard with the public service commissioners here. Uh, and in fact, uh, well, when we first started this, uh, a year, year and a half or two years ago, the first piece of legislation, uh, we had teletown halls, we had uh, public hearings, uh, public meetings around the state to really bring the electric cops. Because, you know, at first, you've got to make sure all the players want to be a part of this. And that involves education, that involves relationship building. Uh, and then we got the ball rolling. And it really became to be a bipartisan piece of legislation, which I love to see that happen. I, I think, you know, we all do our best work when both sides are at the table. Uh, that That's when we'll do what is best for all of the citizens across the state. And so uh, we got the ball rolling. And, and so some areas are up and running. Other areas are now working with, uh, you know, those cellular uh, companies or Internet providers and, and it, they're bringing it, you know, different towers are going up across the state. And so it, it's a long process. It won't happen overnight. Uh, but just recently with the emergency broadband benefit program, we had a big teletown hall again with all of our uh, public service commissions across the state. And they brought in valuable information. They were taking calls. You know, if you were in certain areas, they were telling you who to reach out to uh, for help. And, and, and then there are some entities across the state, as you said, Richard, that even if it's not there yet, they have it like big churches or companies uh, where they would say, just come to our parking lot and you can get on with us. And so we, we really became a, 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 an even closer community. I think during the pandemic, you really saw everybody reaching and trying to help. Kimberly Campbell, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on to our show today. Thank you. That has used up. You've gotten another valuable hour of information from MPB and in legal terms. Thank you, Jay White. Thank you, Java Chapman, for helping us put on our show. Remember, AARP.org. And, you know, if you type .com, it'll still come up, .org. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> for Professor Richard Gershon, who hosts from the University of Mississippi School of Law, I'm Liz Gill, but we hope you join us next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Central for In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.